This is Blood on the River, and we're at the author's note is on page 225. Um, I do suggest when we read, when you read things that are outside of the story, and even while we read the story um, next time, uh, our next novel, you should be taking notes. And we'll talk about notes in class, and um, when we start the next novel, we'll really get into notes. So author's note, um, I'm going to read that part now, and then we'll talk about, uh, we won't read the acknowledgments, although you can on your own if you want to. We will quickly talk about the sources that she lists, and then at the very back on page, I don't even know if the pages are paid uh, numbered. So on the very um, back, the end of this book, you see um, that Alyssa Carbone has writ- written another book called Poison in the Colony. It's about Jamestown in 1622. So the time that there, this book is written about is when uh, Virginia actually is growing up. She's about nine years old and nine or ten. And Samuel is still in the colony. We we get to see him, and it kind of talks about what happens in that period of time in between when they start warring with with Chief Powhatan all the time, and you know between 1622 and 1640, um, there's on and off peace. It probably will talk about um, what happens to Pocahontas and um, that. So there's three chapters at the end that we will not read. But if you would like to read those, or if you're interested in this history, in this fictional history, you can also try to find that book, or I'll try to find a copy for you, where you can continue reading about the history of that area um, in 1622. And at the very end, of course, Alyssa Carbone, and it talks about her, um, she's well known as a historical, you know, for her historical novels. And she wrote a book called Stealing Freedom. She wrote a book called Storm Warriors. Um, And since then, she's written quite a few books. And she lives in Virginia. So if you'd like to learn more about this author, you can go to her website at www.alyssacarbone.com. So let me read a little bit of this author's note. She says, I grew up in Virginia, and so I studied the Jamestown story every time we covered state history. So the author's note is always important because we know, when we know about the author, now we can look at the actual history combined, combined with what we know about the author and kind of what part of the fiction of the story and where she came up with it. So let's hear from the author again. Then in 2002, my historical novel Storm Warriors won the Virginia Jefferson Cup Award, and suddenly I was booked to speak at schools all over Virginia. I was wondering what to write about next, so as I visited these schools, I asked teachers and librarians for suggestions. What would you most like to see a new novel about? I asked. The answer came over and over, Jamestown. I thought, that old story, John Smith and Pocahontas again? Boring. That was before before I started my research. So research, super important. When I looked into what really happened, looked beyond the dry textbooks I had studied as a child, I discovered a thrilling, exciting adventure story. The challenge for me in writing historical fiction is always, how can I see, hear, 
feel, taste, smell, know what my main character experienced. Hmm, wait a second, time out. Doesn't that sound familiar? You know, when we do our detailed writing, I really talk about what do you see, what do you hear, what do you feel, what do you taste, what do you smell? And it's that important to writing. Like you really have to take in everything and think about it and then write about it so that your audience, the reader, can feel and experience what you're trying to tell them. So these details are super important to making a story come alive. So she says here, how can I make, you know, the main character experience? How can I make the reader feel that? Luckily for me, the entire Jamestown fort, three ships, and a Powhatan Indian village have all been recreated at the Jamestown settlement, which is true. Complete with historical interpreters, gardens, muskets that really fire without bullets, of course, corn that needs to be shucked, and all the artifacts you can imagine. In addition to the Jamestown settlement, the newly rediscovered original Jamestown fort is being excavated by archaeologists. Um, so now, <clears throat> you know, another side note, when I went there, summer before last, I was able to see both of these places, the, um, the Jamestown settlement that was recreated, which is really cool to go see, but also, I went to the original Jamestown site, and um, I'll be showing those photographs in class so we can look at it. But if you ever get a chance with your family or friends or anyone, and you're able to travel to Jamestown, Virginia, and see these things, I highly recommend it. I think especially if you enjoy history, you'll really like this. Every day they are uncovering pieces of pottery, building foundations, post holes from the original palisades, and even graves from the earlier Jamestown's years. I spent day after day at these two sites researching, asking questions, and generally absorbing the feel of it, trying to transport my imagination back in time nearly 400 years. At one point, I decided to do a bit of reenacting myself, and so in May of 2005, I set up camp on the shores of the, shores of the James River, not far from the original fort. The sights and sounds that greeted me at dusk, midnight, and sunrise gave me the feel of what Samuel Collier must have experienced that May of 1607 when the colonists first landed. Of course, some of my research was book research, too. Several of the early Jamestown settlers wrote the story of their journey from England and what happened here in the New World. Thank goodness, scholars came before me and took the old-fashioned English spelling and modernized it so that it was much easier to read. Here's an example of what the original writing was like, taken from Sir Thomas Dale's June 10th, 1613 letter from Henrikil. If plenty of victuals will stop this cursed peoples. Okay, so when you read this, you can't read for spelling. What they did, there was no such thing as spelling, kind of. People just sounded out words. And... um and since then, of course, we have standards for spelling now. But it says, if plenty of victuals, I don't, I don't know, will, that would be will, stop this cursed people's mouths, surely this harvest being in, they will have in great abundance. But if a greater number be sent England must proved bread corn for them 
until they may reap of these fruits of their own labors. So very difficult to read. And um, I like to point out sometimes too that there's so many jobs in this world and that there are people that literally helped Alyssa Carbone translate this into an English that she could understand. So just keep that in mind when you when you grow up and you're going from grade to grade that when people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? There are so many things that you could be and so many things that you, if you're interested in that you could you can help with, like this, helping to decode old writing, right? So she says, whew, I'm so glad I didn't have to read that kind of thing for hours. Here's the modernized version from Edward Wright, Hale's book, Jamestown Narratives, Eyewitness Accounts of the Virginia Colony. So this is what that, that paragraph is actually saying. If plenty of victuals will stop these cursed people's mouths, surely this harvest being in, they will have in great abundance. But if a greater number be sent, England must provide bread corn for them until they may reap of these fruits of their own labors. It's still not the easiest thing in the world to understand, she says. <clears throat> but that was their that was where my job came in, using those original records along with other sources to create a story that could be understood and enjoyed by young readers in the 21st century. So she felt that in her writing, what was important was to have all of the information first, the historical records for her to understand those, to use all of that information and those sources to then write something in her own words for other people to read. Um, which is what we're going to learn to do in, in this uh, second quarter of fifth grade. So another note about spelling. English spelling in the early 1600s had not yet been standardized. People wrote phonetically. That means they sounded it out. And when accents changed, spellings changed. There was no spelling test. Woo the same word was sometimes spelled in two different ways, even in the same sentence. When it came to place names and people's names, variations became even greater. For example, I found 11 different spellings of the name Lord de Loire. Delaware, Delaware, Loire, Delaware, Delaware, ah, etc. So maybe that's where we got the state of Delaware from, was from um, Lord de Loire. And there are 27 spellings of Waraskoyak. Even Jamestown changes, changes its spellings. Jamestown, Jamestown. I have tried to standardize the spellings of proper names within this book, but you may see them spelled differently in other sources. Working with original records is not always easy, especially when the same event is described by different people in different ways. For example, in Chapter 8, I mentioned Fort Caroline, the French colony in Florida that was destroyed by the Spanish. Now, I love that she also she cited her own evidence. You see that? She tells us. For example, in chapter 8, she's citing evidence. There was a Spanish version and a French version of that incident. The Spanish said they killed 130 to 140 men and spared the lives of 50 to 60 women and children. The French said everyone was slaughtered, even the women and children. So there's no way to know which version is correct, and I simply had to pick one when telling my story. So she's saying that in history, there's also... We have to take into 
many accounts. We can't just hear from only one side because when we evaluate history, we have to take in everything that people said and then we can kind of see what are the strings that run through these and where's the real history lie. And so she said in doing her research, she kind of had to pick sometimes for the fictional history which one she would have to, excuse me, believe. Another challenge in using original records is that sometimes they describe things that seem to be impossible, like the incident in Chapter 6 where swordfish and a thresher shark attack and kill a whale. This same incident was cited but not just one, but two of the early settlers. William Strachey described the swordfish pricking the whale in the belly with his sharp and needle fin, and both Strachey and Percy described the thresher beating the whale with his fins or flails. And yet I have heard that fish don't act this way. Did it really happen as it was described, or did these men misinterpret what they saw? Or maybe the whole thing is just a fish story. Speaking of fish stories, the modern-day Carib Indians say those stories about their ancestors being cannibals are nothing but lies. That was in um, when they first got there. Remember, they stopped in, 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 the, in the islands. Some historians believe that the Europeans created the image of the Carib Indians as cannibals in order to justify the fact that they treated the natives so brutally. One of the most controversial elements in the Jamestown narratives is the incident where Pocahontas laid her head over Captain Smith's head, protecting him from her father's warriors who stood over him, their clubs raised. Some historians believe that the incident never even happened. Others believe that Pocahontas really did save Captain Smith's life, that Chief Powhatan warriors really were about to beat Captain Smith's brains out with those clubs. Still, others believe in the adoption ceremony, interpretation of the event. This is the one that made the most sense to me, and so I've used that in my story. Um, so she's pointing out here why she did certain things and why it's in her book um, as fiction. This is where the fictional part of history, the fictional history story so she takes real history, and most of this is real, but then there was parts that she interpreted as a writer. I do want to set the record straight about one thing. No matter what you have heard or even seen in the movies, there's absolutely no evidence, not even a hint, that there was ever any romance between Captain John Smith and Pocahontas, that she was just too young for him. The Jamestown story is a story of culture clash and this presented some challenges of terminology. For example, the English saw Pocahontas as a princess because she was the daughter of the Powhatan ruler. But in Powhatan society, power does not pass through royal families from father to son and daughter the way it does in England. Instead, the line of succession went from Chief Powhatan to his brothers, then to his sisters, and then to his sister's children. Pocahontas was not in line to inherit any power. Another term that got my attention was the entry in early settler William Strachey's Algonquin English word list. Wa, the word of wonder, compared this to the entry in a modern-day Grolier's dictionary, wow, used in expressing wonder. Jamestown historian Edward Wright Hale states that our word wow most likely comes from the Algonquin word wow. It's the same pronunciation. The British surname wow is pronounced wow, so Strachey was just writing phonetically. I know most dictionaries say that wow comes from Old Scottish, but a whole collection of dictionaries will tell them tell you that the term powwow comes from Algonquin means literally he dreams. It originally referred to a medicine man or conjurer whose domain was the world of wonder. Opinions will 
vary on this, but I tend to agree with Mr. Hale that our word wow most likely comes from the Algonquin language, which I also found was interesting. And I now when I say, oh, wow, I realize I'm saying Algonquin, that I'm speaking a word in Algonquin, which I think is really cool. This book, like many other historical novels, is a mix of what really did happen and what could have happened. All of the major events and most of the minor events are based on what happened in the journey from England and in Jamestown, as described in the narratives written by the settlers themselves. All of the characters, once the story leaves England, were real people. So that part of her story is real. Samuel Collier was a young boy who came to Virginia on one of the first three ships at Captain Smith's Page. I did have to invent Samuel's backstory, his family life and origins. The records indicate that Samuel went with Captain Smith on two expeditions. The first was to Werewokomoko in the fall of 1608, where the Indian maidens did their warrior's dance. On the second expedition, and wrote to Werewokomoko, Samuel was left to live at the Werewosak village for a time. Samuel did stay in Virginia when Captain Smith left in England. So all of that is absolutely true. <clears throat> the four boys who came over on the first ships were Samuel Collier, Richard Mutton, James Brumfield, who really was just nine years old, and Nathaniel Peacock. One boy was killed in the first large-scale Indian attack in 1607, and it was neither James, Samuel nor Nathaniel because their names appear on later lists. I had to choose either James or Richard to be the one who was killed in that attack, and I decided it would be James. So that part, like she didn't know which person it actually was in history, so she, she decided on that part. Though in some instances the dialogue is taken from the original records, for the most part I have invented dialogue, thoughts, personalities, and the like, and I have simplified a story that is far too complex to be contained in one book. Descendants of the Powhatan Empire still live in Virginia. To learn more about the Virginia Indians today, visit the website of the Virginia Council of Indians. Here's the website, www.indians.vipnet.org. There are eight state-recognized tribes, the Chickahominy, Eastern Chickahominy, Mataponi, Monacan Indian Nation, Nanasimond, Pamunkey, Rappahannock, and Upper Mataponi. Their culture is kept alive within their close-knit communities and is shared with the public through the tribal museums and celebrations at powwows that feature drumming, singing, dancing, and other traditional arts. To read more in depth about Jamestown and the Virginia Indians of the past, I would recommend these books, Love and Hate in Jamestown, John Smith, Pocahontas, and the Heart of a New Nation by David A. Pierce, Price, sorry, First People, the Early Indians of Virginia by Keith Egloff and Jebra Woodward. And finally, The Double Life of Pocahontas by Jean Fritz. If you possibly can, go to Jamestown, Virginia and see it for yourself. The following websites will help you plan either a virtual or real-time visit to Jamestown. The Association for the Preservation of Virginia Antiquities, www.apva.org. Colonial National Historic Park, www.nps.gov backslash c-o-l-o colo jamestown sediment www.historyisfun.org for more information about blood on the river jamestown 1607 including a teacher's study guide visit www.alissaclairborn.com 
So, <clears throat> like I said, we won't read the acknowledgments parts, but you can. And it's just, um, it's just the author acknowledging where she got the information and who she'd like to thank for helping her as she studied for it. Now, if you go farther back, turn um, your pages to the sources page. I want you to just see this sources page because we won't talk about sources really until uh, third or fourth quarter. <clears throat> but these sources list the author, um, the title of the of where she got the source, and then the publishing place, the publisher, and the date of publication for each book. And now <clears throat> she also says that in chapter one for primary source material, so that was the primary evidence we were talking about at the beginning of every chapter, she wrote chapter one, and she does a source, her evidence of where she got that from exactly. So she does it for every chapter. If you turn the page, she does chapters 2 through 8, 9, 10, uh, 11. She keeps going to chapter 23, 24, 25, 26. Um, and then she has chapter 27. And even the afterward, she points out the the primary sources that she got for that. Now, she says in the bottom here, many of these primary sources may be assessed on the internet. She is giving us proof of where she got this information. So even though she's writing a historical novel, she wants to be very clear that she's getting this information, the truth information, from these sources. And then she has already pointed out the parts that she made up to make it historical fiction. And this is really important because as you go on and as a writer, as you get older, you're going to need to really cite the evidence, really prove where you got information from. And that's what we're going to be learning in second quarter. We'll be talking about evidence. Um, many of these primary sources may be assessed on the internet. And then she gives you sites. So there's at least four sites there. And then of course, this last part is what I was talking about at the beginning, where you can actually read about this time when uh, Virginia's a little bit older. She's almost 10 years old. So she's about the age that Pocahontas was when Samuel first met Pocahontas, which I think is interesting. And now um, it tells you a little bit about Virginia. It's it's not easy reading. There's a killing in it. There's a lot of stuff that we need you need to talk about or think about. But um, it's it's a good novel for fifth and sixth graders, and um, I do hope that people read it. I hope they go on to enjoy that part of it. Uh, the back of the book, like we talked about in the very beginning, gives us kind of a, a summary, and um, we'll talk about this summary when we talk about summarizing books and summarizing stories. So I want to thank you again. I know it's a lot of listening without looking. I hope you have followed along with your book because I think it's really important to see the words even though they're being read to you. Um, but always remember reading is a fantastic way to open your imagination but also learn about history which is what we've done with Blood on the River. So I hope you enjoyed Blood on the River I've enjoyed reading it to you, and I want to take this opportunity to thank uh, Mr. Pritchard for reading some of our chapters for us. Uh, I, I know everybody enjoyed listening to his sound effects and his voice reading. Um, I hope we didn't throw you off too much when it switched to mine. So uh, thank you, and uh, that's it for Blood on the River. <laughs>